It is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to all of you the President of the United States. Yo, yo, this music. What? Uh, whose man's is this? This is the song he comes out to. This is supposed to be a memorial for CIA officers that have been killed in the field. And this is what he comes out to. This solemn song here. Okay, but but whatever. I'm not going to get distracted. That's not the important part. The important part is the meeting itself and and what it might portend. So let's listen in. Uh, This is my first stop, officially. But I want to say that there is nobody that feels stronger about the intelligence community and the CIA than Donald Trump. There is nobody. Probably almost everybody in this room voted for me, but I will not ask you to raise your hands if you vote. But I would guarantee a big portion, because we're all on the same wavelength, folks. We're all on the same wavelength. Right? Okay, I'm not really sure what was going on there. Not many people are, it seems. Some people say that the CIA is in something of a war with President Trump. And that's why he made his very first visit in his first full day in office to the CIA headquarters. But you wouldn't guess that from the reception that he got. That didn't sound nothing like a war. They applaud when he says they're all on the same wavelength. Don't sound like no kind of war. These CIA folks, I mean, they seemed eager to cheer Trump, right? I mean, at least some of them. It was enough to prompt award-winning foreign policy journalist Jeremy Scahill to wonder just how eager elements in the CIA are to have a president that'll just let them really let loose. There's a very serious, dark part of what happened there at the CIA, which is that I think there are elements in the CIA uh, that view the kind of Phoenix program return as a good thing, the assassination program in Vietnam, that like Pro, the FBI counterintelligence program that infiltrated uh, dissident groups. See, my fear is that that event on the, again, on the very first full day of Trump's administration, that that signals a wish of Trump to use the CIA like, like very heavily because why would a guy like Trump not use the world's most powerful secret shadow army. Reagan came into office fully intending to use the CIA to its fullest capacity, especially in Nicaragua and the rest of Central America, as this episode will begin to tell. And that's just not my assessment. The CIA itself advertises that fact. The very first sentence in the very first paragraph of Reagan's page on the CIA website reads, quote, Covert action gained a new urgency under President Ronald Reagan. They're excited about it. Covert action gained a new urgency under Ronald Reagan. It sure shit did. Almost immediately after reaching office, Reagan tells the CIA, we're going to get busy. We're going to get busy in Nicaragua. It's going to be shady as fuck, but we're going to retake Nicaragua from the Nicaraguan people. And we're going to do it with our Contra army. If you trace the history of the United States vis-a-vis Latin America and Central America, there has never been a time 
when a country made a revolution for the poor people where it was not overthrown by the CIA, overthrown by the CIA, overthrown by the CIA, overthrown by the CIA. Welcome back to The Crux. I'm Matt Pulver. So I just want to take a quick moment again to remind everybody about the thecruxpodcast.com. That's where you can find additional information, um, you know, stuff I've been reading for the podcast and stuff like that. Um, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Crux Podcast. And you can support the Crux on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and search for the Crux Podcast. Um, I want to have something extra for supporters, some kind of extra content or like a Google Hangout or or maybe something I haven't thought of yet. So I welcome any suggestions you have for uh, for goodies I can give supporters of the show. Hey, so shout out to all my old heads who remember this old 8-bit banger right here. It's from an old Nintendo game called Contra. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the Contras. I think I sort of glossed over a lot. I really sped through that first episode. Uh, I had to, I think. So now I want to start breaking it down. And I'm going to start with the Contras, which was the secret army that was created, funded, trained, owned, essentially, by the CIA to topple the Nicaraguan government. So Reagan enters office in 1981. But real quick, we have to first rewind a couple years to 1979. (laughs) <laughs> like ODB said, let's take it back to 79. So in 1979, the Nicaraguan people, led by the Sandinista rebels, they rise up to topple their dictator, this guy Anastasio Somoza, which gets the government of, of the United States feeling all types of ways because Somoza had been their man in Central America. Now, Somoza was a fucking ghoul. He was this vicious piece of shit dictator, but he was Washington's vicious piece of shit dictator. So when Somoza is kicked to the curb by the Sandinista revolution, factions in Washington like immediately begin working to reinstate American power in Nicaragua, like with some new U.S. backed puppet like Somoza. They couldn't have Somoza because Somoza had been killed in Argentina. Life comes at you fast, son. But see, the problem was this new Sandinista government was not playing ball with U.S. corporations and the wealthy elite, especially here in the U.S., but also in the region. And that makes you an enemy of Washington real fast. But the people, the Nicaraguans, they're pretty cool with this Sandinista revolution. A whole hell of a lot more than Somoza. The Somoza family had been in power since 1937. So over 40 years at the time of the revolution. And they'd been controlling Nicaragua with a, with a brutal military dictatorship. There was the original OG Somoza, and then he passes the dictatorship down to his family. And so at the time of the revolution in 1979, his son, Anastasio, is running the show. Now, it helped that the Somozas had been backed by Washington, like heavy. They had this vicious American-trained, like personal army to repress dissent and like instill terror in the Nicaraguan people. This was called the Guardia Nacional or the Guardia. Now, I'm going to be referring to that probably most often in English, the National Guard. But don't get it twisted. Don't confuse it for one second with with what we call our National Guard, like the folks that come out when there's like a hurricane or whatever. This was a vicious, brutal domestic terror force 
that served, you know, at the command of Somoza and ensured his control over the country. And many of those National Guard soldiers were trained at what was called the School of the Americas, this infamous sort of nightmarish place for Latin Americans, where the U.S. military taught the, the soldiers of right-wing dictators the techniques of keeping your people afraid of challenging power. The School of the Americas came to eventually gain the name School of the Assassins by some of its critics. And at this point, it's responsible for, for training multiple generations of, of brutal right-wing death squads in Latin America. And Somoza even bragged that 800 of the 900 officers in the Guardia, the, the National Guard, were trained at the School of the Americas, the School of Assassins. Somoza was a tool of Washington. He was a client of the empire. We would have called Nicaragua under Somoza a, a client state, where Washington, you know, lets guys like Somoza cook, you know, do your thing, as long as you do our bidding when the time comes and, and make sure that you're maintaining a, a uh, healthy climate for, for U.S. business interests. Somoza was damn near as much American as he was Nicaraguan. This guy went to school in the United States. He was trained at the United States Military Academy at West Point. That's where he made some of his best friends. Journalist Christopher Dickey, who covered Central America for the Washington Post during that time, he, he writes that Somoza, quote, had made himself part of an influential old boy network of ultra-conservatives in the United States. And for decades... Somoza helped Washington, especially those ultra-conservatives, do their dirty shit in the region, in Central America. He was their guy. He was, he was a piece of shit. But he was doing the bidding of, of these folks in Washington. Pedro Tremoro, a Nicaraguan newspaper editor and publisher who would later be assassinated for publishing stories about Somoza's corruption, he told journalist Stephen Kinzer a few years before Somoza fell, he said, quote, the United States is the great overwhelming factor in our national life, and you don't know we exist. Plus, these fuckers, the Samosas, they grew to own damn near everything in Nicaragua. So that by the time that Somoza is deposed in 1979, he's worth an estimated $900 million, according to a classified U.S. government intelligence report. $900 million in a country where the per capita income was around $250. That's annual. $250 a year. And this motherfucker is out here worth almost a billion dollars. So not only did Washington train Somoza's deadly goons, but they knew that he basically stole the country from his people. At the time of the Sandinista Revolution, at the time that he was overthrown, Somoza owned the national airline of Nicaragua. He owned the nation's major shipping line and the major port. He owned hundreds of thousands of acres of crop and cattle land, so much so that he'd effectively cornered the Nicaraguan beef market. He owned a massive commercial fishing fleet and owned a substantial or majority stake in radio, television, newspaper companies, construction companies, and the Bank of Central America. In a country where folks are making $250 a year. So in 1979, it's lit. People had had enough. And the Sandinista Rebellion rose and removed Somoza from power. These are 
are the Sandinistas. They have set up barricades in the poor sections of Managua. In the San Luis section of the capital, people say they support the Sandinistas, that they don't like President Somoza. This girl, who did not want to be identified, expressed an opinion popular in this part of town. Somoza, he's killing innocent people. Mm -hmm. He's, that man is crazy. Many of the tough young guerrillas were raised in the poor sections of this country, where support for the Sandinista movement has been the strongest. And it was the poor people in the capital who filled the streets today to greet the winners of the 18-month-old war. Okay, so let's look a little bit more closely at the Sandinistas. They're named after Augusto Sandino. Sandino Sandinista, right? So he was this guerrilla leader who led the fight against U.S. forces when the United States occupied Nicaragua for decades. Yeah, yeah, we occupied Nicaragua for decades. I know that that doesn't get talked about much. I didn't know about this. This wasn't in my history books. But they remember it. I mean, let's go back to 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 the newspaper editor, Pedro Chamorro, that I just quoted a little while ago. I'm going to I'm going to bring the quote back. He said, "The United States is the great overwhelming factor in our national life." And you don't know we exist. I mean, where's the lie, right? We don't even talk about how we occupied Nicaragua with our Marines for decades. But we did. And there was a guy, Sandino, who became a hero in Nicaragua because he he led the fight against the U.S. military occupation. And then when the U.S. finally left... It made sure that Nicaragua was a client state, that it still ultimately served Washington. And they did this through the Somoza dynasty. So named after their hero, Sandino, and following his example, the Sandinistas are against American imperialism, like off the rip, right? And they're socialist, which means Washington's going to be just pissed. And that means that you're going to be labeled communist. Because that's what Washington did back then. With any movement or government they wanted to neutralize, defeat, overthrow, whatever. It, it often didn't matter what your relationship was with Moscow, with the Soviet Union. It was just a way to discredit that movement or government. I mean, going back to season one, the FBI worked really hard to label Martin Luther King this like spooky communist tied to the Soviets. Just like they tried to make the Sandinistas Nicaragua into some sort of like Soviet army outpost to like attack the U.S. or some shit, which is not what they were interested in. They weren't going to attack the U.S. They, the revolution was to help themselves to make Nicaragua a better place. It wasn't in order to invade Texas. But Reagan tried to spook Americans by saying that the Sandinista Revolution, quote, gave the Soviet Union a beachhead on this continent, only 2,000 miles from the Texas border. Like they're going to just start driving up to Texas and shooting people or something. But the revolution goes down in 1979, and that's when President Carter is still in office. And Carter kind of tried to work the situation to Washington's favor with a with sort of a light touch, a, a degree of finesse, at least versus what Reagan would later do. Carter cuts off military assistance to Somoza's National Guard. 
during like maybe the last year or so of Somoza's rule. And Jimmy Carter even invites Daniel Ortega, who is the effective leader of Nicaragua, and some other high-level Sandinistas to the White House two months after the revolution. He was aiming it at some sort of, quote, coexistence. Meanwhile, Reagan, in 1978, just a week before that journalist, Pedro Chamorro, was going to be killed by pro-Somoza goons, Reagan says that Somoza was, quote, just getting bad press. And that, quote, he had never been known as a major violator of human rights. I mean, unless you read a thing. Reagan insisted that the, the 1980 GOP platform include the language, quote, we deplore the Marxist Sandinista takeover of Nicaragua, and we will support the efforts of the Nicaraguan people to establish a free and independent government. Which was sort of early code for, we're going to try to fuck you up. And Reagan then comes into office and practically immediately tries to undo the Sandinista revolution with his CIA. Like, a murderous dictator is okay, but these socialist Sandinistas, you know, can't be allowed to govern in the U.S. empire's backyard. Somoza and his people can own most of the country, but the Nicaraguan people can't. Somoza can reign like a, like a king as long as he works to keep Central America free and clear for corporations to exploit and abuse. That's Reagan's stance. Here are some of the, the terrifying socialist reforms that just couldn't be permitted in Central America. The Sandinistas expropriated the asset. They, 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 they took, they ran the jewels. They expropriated the assets of the Somoza family and the, the inner circle of power who'd been allowed by Washington to loot their country. They, quote, seized more than 100 corporations and nearly 2 million acres of farmland owned by Somoza and that inner circle, which they took from Somoza and his goons and turned into farms and property to help the people. The Sandinistas nationalized certain industries, notably the mining industry, where an American corporation had been mining Nicaragua's gold and minerals. That mine and what it produced was now owned by Nicaragua, not a U.S. corporation. Nicaragua is kept horribly, criminally underdeveloped under Somoza. Most kids and adults couldn't read or write. In the rural areas under Somoza, only 5% of the kids even got to 6th grade. And so, in March of 1980, this is barely six months into the new Sandinista government, the Sandinistas launched this nationwide literacy campaign. More than half of the country is illiterate, with something like 75% of rural Nicaraguans being unable to read and write. So they send this army of teachers from Nicaragua and across the region, from teenagers to adults, some 60,000 teachers spread out across the country. The Sandinistas launch a war on illiteracy, and they win. But of course, in Washington, they've got a different kind of war on their mind, and it's a war to destroy this new Sandinista government. Here's Bernie Sanders. He's firing off knowledge darts about this in the late 80s. If you trace the history of the United States vis-a-vis -vis Latin America and Central America, there has never been a time 
when a country made a revolution for the poor people where it was not overthrown by the CIA or the United States government or the Marines. Okay, sorry, y'all. I need to rewind some more again. I promise. I, I think this is helpful for the story that, that I'm telling. I have to take it back to 54, 1954. The CIA's first coup in Latin America is in Guatemala. And this just reeks of a, of a Donald Trump type shit show because we have Alan Dulles as head of the CIA and his brother, John Foster Dulles, is secretary of state, which is already a little shady, it seems. It gets way shadier. Both Dulles brothers had close ties to an American corporation that owned almost half of the farmland in Guatemala a country of landless peasants and poverty. And when I say they had close ties, I mean that John Foster Dulles was a partner in the law firm that represented that corporation, United Fruit Company. It eventually became Chiquita. And Alan Dulles, his brother, the CIA director, sat on the board of United Fruit Company and worked for the same law firm as his brother. United Fruit Company ran Guatemala more or less like a plantation, it was this massive corporation that had swallowed like 20 of its competitors and become this just behemoth. It risen to become the largest employer in Guatemala and the largest employer in all of Central America. It owned a majority of the railways in Guatemala. It essentially controlled Guatemala's only port. And the Dulles Brothers law firm helped oversee that corporation's plantation in Guatemala. But what happens is that Guatemala says, nah, 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 fuck that. And they elect a new president, this guy Jacobo Arbenz. And he decides to, at his people's request, he decides to start buying back land from United Fruit. He doesn't, he's not really buying it back. He's just saying, we're going to pay you for the land and we're going to use the land that you're not using, the fallow land that you're not actively planting on. We're going to buy that from you and we're going to give it to our landless poor. Because we got a lot of poor people in this country, in case you hadn't noticed. At that time, 2% of the population in Guatemala, including United Fruit, owned 72% of the land. And then you had all these Guatemalans that didn't own anything. And so President Arbenz started buying that fallow land. That is land that was owned by United Fruit, but wasn't being used for crops. He bought that back at market rates and gave it to poor Guatemalans. But now when I say that President Arbenz bought the land back, he didn't give United Fruit a choice. Okay, so he, he said, I'm going to take the land that you're not using and give it to my poor folks who don't have land. And then I'm going to pay you what you say it's worth when it comes to tax time. So if you've got a problem with that, it probably means you haven't been paying enough taxes in the first place. And that made him an enemy of the United States. He was committing the crime of putting his own people above an American corporation. And especially one with friends in the CIA. And how did the coup that the CIA launched, how did that kick off? How was that sold? By labeling what Guatemala was doing as communist as being a, a Soviet thing somehow. And who is enlisted to help the CIA remove President Arbenz from power? Washington's good friend Somoza, who played a major role in that coup. 
Here's Philip Agee. He was a CIA officer in Latin America during those decades, and he ended up leaving the agency after becoming sort of morally unable to continue doing this shit. And he started speaking up about it. Much, much later in my life that I began to understand that anti-communism was used to cover or to justify all of these types of activities when in actual fact the objects or victims of these activities were not in many cases communists at all. They were nationalists, they were populists, they were perhaps socialists, but uh, communist is a, is a very dangerous label I eventually learned. It's used to, to discredit any revolutionary movement it has been used, uh, and I used it myself constantly, to discredit any popular revolutionary movement that seeks revolutionary change or fundamental radical change in favor of the poor people. And in the so-called third world, you know, these are the mass, vast majorities of the populations. In Nicaragua or El Salvador, Guatemala. Now, the thing that happened to our bins in Guatemala in 1954 happens again in Chile almost two decades later and about six years before the Sandinista Revolution. The CIA sponsors another coup, this one even just way bloodier than Guatemala. Horrific coup against a democratically elected leader, just like our Benz. They launch a coup against the democratically elected leader of Chile, Salvador Allende. Salvador Allende was democratically elected by the people of Chile. He made the mistake of believing that his job as president of that country was to represent the people of, of Chile. And he did his best, and he was overthrown by the CIA. So the interesting question is why does the United States government think, whether it's Nicaragua or any other country in Latin or Central America, that it has the right to overthrow those governments? U.S. corporations steer the ship on the Chilean coup just like they did in Guatemala in 1954. The leader of Chile, again democratically elected, was doing what his people wanted him to do. He worked to nationalize the copper mines in Chile so that the Chilean people profited and not just U.S. corporations. Chile was at that time, and I believe it still is, the leading producer of copper in the world. Copper is a big deal. I mean, think about it. It goes in basically everything that, that has anything to do with electricity. Copper's huge. And Allende said... No, 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 no. These mines are actually ours. You don't own them and then pay our people poverty wages to dig up our copper that you say is yours. Fuck that. These mines are now ours. But U.S. corporations didn't want to see their profits now going to the poor people of Chile. So they started working with Richard Nixon and his CIA to launch a coup against Allende. Only this time, instead of Washington and the CIA installing a just horrifically brutal dictator, this world-historical fuckboy General Pinochet, seriously, Google him, this time they'd trained a bunch of Chilean economists in these, these new-fangled theories of hypercapitalism to make Chile into an experiment, like this, this laboratory for neoliberalism or, or hypercapitalism. They made an entire country into a laboratory for untested ideas of this amped-up corporate capitalism. Let's try it out on the brown folks. Now listen, that kind of experiment, that's all well and good if the people themselves 
decide that that's what they want. But no, this was imposed on the people of Chile with one of the worst tyrants in the past 60 years as the overseer or as the, as the warden. Thousands of Chileans who dissented were imprisoned, tortured, killed, disappeared by General Pinochet. And I think it's worth noting that Reagan, in the mid-80s, secretly planned to give political asylum to General Pinochet if the people of Chile successfully rose up against him. Pinochet remained a friend of the right wing in Washington. Okay, I'm going to get to the Contras, I promise. I truly, truly am going to get there. But I felt like I needed to give you something of a backstory. And believe me, I'm giving you a, a thumbnail sketch of that history of the CIA and, and Washington and U.S. corporations in Latin America. There could be a whole podcast just about the CIA in Latin America. But to wrap up this history, I'm going to give you all just one last little quote. I mean, it's not a little quote. Actually, it's a long quote. But it's from a Marine officer who'd been part of that military occupation in Nicaragua. Major General Smedley Butler, who later in his life came to realize what he'd been a part of in Latin America. Butler wrote, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Mexico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. End quote. This was not some rank-and-file jarhead. Smedley Butler had risen to Major General of the United States Marine Corps. The highest rank at the time that you could achieve in the Marine Corps. That history is long. And the Sandinista government in Nicaragua was, as, as Reagan took office, the latest instance of Latin Americans fighting back against U.S. power, against Washington, against the corporations. But Reagan was going to label them communists. Reagan was going to tell everybody that they were a threat that they weren't. And Reagan was going to mobilize his CIA to launch a secret war against the government of Nicaragua to bring it back under U.S. control. And he was going to do that with his Contra army. But the problem for Reagan was that the American people really weren't feeling that. They had learned a lot over the past decade or so. A lot of stuff had leaked out about the CIA and these coups and regime changes. And, you know, peace to the American people at that point. They were like, nah, we're not, we're not down with this, really. We're not going to fund this. And so Congress wasn't going to fund it. Eventually, Congress cuts off funding for this. And you can't train, clothe, feed, arm and sustain a paramilitary force, you know, worthy of, of 
invading and eventually conquering a country, you can't do that on the cheap. That takes a lot of fucking money. And so Reagan had to start looking for money other places, completely off the books, completely underground, under the underground. And that's when shit got wild illegal. Blame Reagan, blame Oliver North. Blame Oliver North. Blame Reagan, blame Oliver North. Iran Contra. If you face the history of the United States vis-a-vis Latin America and Central America, there has never been a time when a country made a revolution for the poor people where it was not overthrown by the CIA. Overthrown by the CIA. Overthrown by the CIA. Overthrown by the CIA. 